quickly. Let me read a note to you, and uh, I'm, I'm going to try my best and find it. Um, there it is. Uh, dear church family, we want to thank our church family for everything you've done for us. Thank you for all the visits, calls, texts, meals, and gifts. We can't express how thankful we are for everyone. Logan is home now and still recovering. His recovery could take up to a year. Please continue to pray for him. The Lord has shown that he's in control and does make miracles happen. We love you all, Roger, Melody, and family. And I saw Roger in the hallway earlier, still praying for Logan. But it is awesome to see the miracle that is being done in his life. It's incredible. And so thankful that he is still with us. And that is an answer to prayer for sure. So uh, excited to see what God is doing. Let me just remind you of a couple things real quickly and we'll jump right in into Mark chapter number 6. Uh, don't forget, uh, we know we have Veterans uh, Week. Or Veterans Week is this week, and uh, Veterans Day is next Saturday. Uh, but we have a big event that takes place on Tuesday this week, and it's called Election Day. And let me encourage all of us to go and exercise our right to vote. Exercise your right to vote this coming Tuesday. Some of you may have already done that uh, through early voting, but please, please, please exercise your right to vote this week. We have an amazing opportunity in our state. And I was reading an article this morning talking about how so many people are watching the state of Virginia and what happens this week in our local elections to see if that will play any role in the state of our nation, which I think is an amazing opportunity for us as a church to be involved in what's going on in our entire nation. Uh, but make sure that you go out and vote. And hey, listen, your candidate might not be my candidate, and that is totally fine. Go out and exercise your right to vote. Uh, do that this week. Next Sunday night, we have a guest speaker. I hope you'll make plans to be with us for that. Uh, next Sunday night, 6 o'clock, Pastor Kurt Skelly will be with us, and it's going to be awesome. And uh, some of our guys have heard Brother Kurt for several years at Makaira and uh, our men's conference every year, and it's been great to have Brother Kurt. He's going to be with us. We have a, a, a small business meeting next Sunday morning after the morning service uh, because we plan to take on a missionary family, and we need to vote for that. Uh, so please make sure to be with us uh, next weekend. Mark chapter 6, let's begin reading in verse number 45, and as you're turning and maybe you're already there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you're being watched? You ever got the feeling maybe from a coworker or from a neighbor, and that feeling of somebody is watching me, and I don't know what it is, uh, you know, the hair stands up on your neck, maybe it's somebody in school or a store or at home. Uh, maybe you say, hey, stop watching me, honey, that, that's, and then you hear them snoring, and you know that it's not happening. But uh, you know, that feeling, and maybe you felt like God is watching instead of working. Maybe you felt like God is watching you and knowing that God is doing something like he's staring in your life, but you just don't see him working. Or at least you don't see him working when you feel like he should be working. And that's what we see today. We see that Jesus sends the disciples away in a hurry only to watch them as they struggle. You know, sometimes you feel neglected by the Lord. Knowing that He's aware, knowing that He knows what's going on in the situation, but feeling like He's not as active in your life as we think He should be. And I feel like that's where the disciples are here. In Mark chapter 6, verse 45 the Bible says, and straightway, immediately, he constrained his disciples. He forces them, pushes them, encourages them. Hey, guys, this is not optional. This is something that you need to do. 
he forces them into a ship and to get to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And here's the, the seeing. And he saw them toiling in rowing. He saw them struggling. He saw them fighting for survival. He saw them, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Saw them struggle, watching them toiling, the fourth watch of the night, three o'clock in the morning, which means that they have pushed for hours, they have rowed for hours, Four miles in, this, this body of water is only eight miles across. They're halfway through in the middle of the sea, and Jesus is watching them struggle. And maybe that's your life. You feel like, man, when is Jesus going to do something? When is he going to break through? When is he going to answer my prayer? Uh, let's see what the disciples discovered this night. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and thank you for how you challenge us at just those right moments in our life. You give us exactly what we need. Lord, help us not to rely on our physical sight, but help us to rely on what we know about who you are. Lord, that's what makes the song, I've witnessed it, so powerful. Lord, I've witnessed your faithfulness. Lord, I've seen it again and again, and I'm confident that I'm going to continue to see it over and over in my life, because that's who you are, that's what you do. Lord, help us to rely on your strength instead of our own. Help us to rely on what we know about you rather than what we see in our present circumstances. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, they haven't come to you for salvation, they don't know that forgiveness and that peace that comes with a relationship with Jesus, help them to see you today in a, in a new way. Lord, if there's someone watching online that needs encouragement, please encourage them. Lord, I ask that you please speak to my heart. Cleanse me of any sin in my heart that's unconfessed. Help me to be clean as I preach your word to your people. Lord, please give us today what we need as a church family. Help us to rely on what we know about your faithfulness rather than what we see in the moment. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down number one. He sent them. He sent them. The disciples... They'd been there before. They had gone in Mark chapter number 4. They had gone into a storm. But the biggest difference then in Mark chapter 4 is when they got on the boat, Jesus got on the boat with them. But here in Mark chapter number 6, he pushes them. He stretches them. He forces them. That storm in Mark chapter 4, it left them in awe of who he was and what he'd done. And the fact that he had spoken peace to the wind and the waves, uh, they were amazed. But this time they were all alone, or at least that's what they thought. They thought they were all alone this time. And we see the directive that's mentioned in verse number 45. Look, look again, verse 45, and straightway he constrained his disciples. The story, straightway, immediately after some event. The previous verses, we know the feeding of the 5,000 men. Some commentators believe with women and children could have been upwards to 20,000 people that Jesus fed. And on the heels of that, while they are still wondering what they've just seen, Jesus rushes them to get into a boat. 
Hey, guys, go ahead and get in this boat. Meet me on the other side. I'll meet you there in a little while. Now, that seems harsh, especially when he tells them why they need to go away. He said, if you'll go over there, I'll send all the crowds away. You know, practically speaking, we would look and say, man, it seems to make sense that we could get this job done quicker if we would all work together, doesn't it? I say, hey, 13 of us working together, we can disperse the crowd evenly. We can get them all out. But Jesus says, I want you to go now. You all go. I'll do this part by myself. If they had fed them together. Why not dismiss them together? In John chapter 6, verse 15, it says, When therefore Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. By sending them away, he did not allow their minds to hear what the people were thinking. They already believed in their mind that he was a national, political, religious leader. He was going to create that new kingdom. They believed that. And that's why Peter rebuked Jesus in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, for what Jesus said. Look there, Mark 8, 31. And he began to teach them, the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer. That's new. He must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. That was news. That's not something that they had discussed in their board meeting. That's not something that they had talked about and we're going to share. We're not going to go to that point, Jesus. And what does he do? Verse 32, and he spake that saying openly. Jesus didn't share it with the disciples. He starts telling other people, hey, I'm going to die. And what does Peter do? Peter, act first, think later. What does he do? And Peter took him. Hey, I need to talk to you. And began to rebuke him. You can't say these things, Jesus. We've given up all of our lives for you. You can't tell people this stuff. You know, G. Campbell Morgan said, Waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. Third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. Uh, You do nothing until the command is given. Uh, What command were they under? Get in the boat. Go. I'll meet you there momentarily. You do what I have told you to do. And, And it's no different for us. While we wait on his timing, we obey. While we wait, people say, well, pastor, how do I know what God's will is for my life? You obey in the things that you know you're supposed to do right now. And as we're obedient, God will reveal his will to our lives. Now, how do I know? What am I supposed to do next? You do the things that you know you're supposed to do now while we wait on further instructions. We see the directive, but then number two, we see the distinction. In verse 46 and 47, They went one direction, he went another. They went to the sea, he goes to the mountain. They went to work, he went to worship. But even though they were apart, they were still close. Even though they're four miles away, completely surrounded by the storm that they're facing, as far as they were concerned, they were all by themselves. Everything was on them. And I love the fact that here in verse number 46, the story transitions to the disciples. However... We still know that Jesus knew exactly where they were. 
Sometimes we feel like our story is transitioned to somebody else. All the attention is now given to someone else. Remember that woman with the issue of blood while Jairus is standing there waiting on his miracle? Uh, the story transitions to someone else and Jairus is there going, Hey, come on, come on, Jesus, we got to go. We got somewhere to be. We got to get to my house. And the story transitions all the while Jesus knew. Jesus knew, hey, I know who's waiting. I know who's there. You know what our problem is? I don't want to get ahead. You know what our problem is? We quit before Jesus responds to us. We see him working in someone else's life, and somehow we've convinced ourselves that Jesus can't do two things at once. He is the king at multitasking. And he can deal with all of our problems all at the same time. That's who he is. And Jesus may have been praying on the mountain to his father, but he knew exactly what their need was. Remember, he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Be not ye therefore like unto them, like unto those who were the religious, those who were the carnal Christians. For your father knoweth what thing ye have need of before ye ask him. He already knows. So why not just ask him? And don't play the cat and mouse game with God. Just simply tell him because he already knows what we need. Remember Jonah 1, verse 3 and 4? I love Jonah's story. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. In God's presence. And hey, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to get out of God's presence. Went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fear of. Went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I got to get away from here. I got to go. The very next verse, what happens? But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. Which sea? The one that Jonah was in. The one where he's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. You know what that tells me? God was already there. God was already in the sea, steps ahead of Jonah, and he did not even realize it. You know what it tells me? You will never be so far away from God that you can outrun his presence in your life. You will never be so far away from God that you can outrun his presence in your life. Well, I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to get away from God. No, you won't. I'm going to go over here and I'm going I'm to make sure that, that God doesn't know where I am. No, you won't. The farthest point Jonah could go, Tarshish, that was the last settlement in their world before the world fell off. They believe that too, by the way. That wasn't a new thing for us. The farthest point, that was the last known city, Tarshish. I'm going as far away from God as I can. And what did Jonah find out? God was already there. It's a great reminder for us that no matter what direction we're sailing, God is already there. No matter, no matter what problem is out there ahead of me, God's already there. No matter what storm is out there, no matter what difficulty, no matter what tragedy, God is already there. God, why did you bring us here? This is new. And he says, not for me. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was coming. And yet he is there. You know, maybe the Lord is trying to send you out to get you to a place where you'll listen to him better. Hey, I'm going to get you out there where you're more dependent on me. Where you're less dependent on you. Because we all know what we're capable of, don't we? 
I mean, let's be honest. We know what we're good at and we know where we struggle. I know what my strengths are and I know what my weaknesses are. If you've ever been in a job interview, you've had to, oh, what are my strengths? What are, what are my weaknesses? I don't have any. Oh, strengths or weaknesses? I mean, I, uh, you just don't think about it. But see, he wants us out there in the middle of the water where we have nothing but him. He sent them. But number two, he saw them. This is awesome. You know, one of the most shocking verses in the life of Jesus, one of the most shocking to me is this verse, verse number 48. And he saw them toiling and rowing. You know, this is shocking to me because the way that we think, we see a couple things. Number one, we see the observation. He is watching them. He's in the mountain to pray as the, that mountain range slopes up from the Sea of Galilee. All kinds of points where Jesus could have sat and resorted all by himself in solitude while watching the Sea of Galilee. Everything's going on. He could see on the other side all the way out. You think about the horizon 10 miles flat. As you look out, he could see them from that elevated point. Looking out, he could see them four miles out. He could see the storm that was developing around them and he waited. That doesn't sound fair. But he saw them. It reminds me of Mark 4.35 when he said, let us go over to the other side. Let's go over there. Jesus told them then to get in a boat knowing that full well that the storm was coming. He does this again knowing, and, but knowing this time he wasn't going to be with them. They would have to rely on what they knew about him in the storm. Hey church, don't miss this. This is a Holy Spirit moment. Holy Spirit where it's not in the notes, but it's in the now. Hey, as the Lord leads you out in the storm, He's already seen you out in the storm. He knows that difficult, converse, that difficult situation's coming. Hey, and He's watching them, hoping that they'll rely on what they know about Him. How many times have you seen God move in your life? And when we get in the storm of life, we panic. He wants us to rely on what we know about Him. Hey, don't forget in the night what God has shown you in the light. When we get those dark times, that's when we rely on who He is, what He has done, rather than, oh my goodness, do you see that cloud? He's the one above the cloud, by the way. He's the one with his hand on the cloud, maneuvering it just right, just right. He wants to develop their faith in him. Not one time do you see the disciples say, Jesus, help us. Not once. But that should have been the response. You remember the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11, 32 and 33? When Mary was come where Jesus was, saw him, she fell at his feet, said unto him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother hadn't died. The very next verse is the astounding verse. Verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews which were weeping also which were with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That's not indigestion. That's not what that means. Why was Jesus troubled? He knew what was coming. He knew her heart, their emotions. Why was he troubled? Because he knew what they were thinking. He was troubled because of what he knew. He saw a lack of faith. Mark chapter 40, 
chapter 4, verse 40, he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10, 38, now the just shall live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. You know what we've learned in the last three years? That God is still God. You know what God wants us to learn today? That he's still God. Nothing is going to change that. A worldwide pandemic can't change that. He is still God. And he has not surrendered his authority or his ability to work in our lives. Not one moment in our creative time on earth. Not once has he stepped down from his throne. John MacArthur said, no one acts apart from the sovereign plan of God. Every choice, every act, every decision made by every human in the world, including the most evil, heinous behavior against the truth and against the Lord, God overrules and fits into his plan for his own ends and his own glory. There's not one rebellious molecule in the universe that operates independently of his purpose. Not one thing. God controls it all. And that should provide great comfort in the middle of our storm. The observation. He saw them. Number two, the opposition. It says in verse 48, saw them toiling, saw them struggling. Why? For the wind was contrary to them. That's startling to me because what was it that astounded them in Mark chapter 4 and verse 41? Remember when he called the storm the first time? Remember when he stepped into the boat and and said, hey, peace be still? Remember when he was in the the boat with them as they're traveling and they're, hey, Jesus, don't you care about us? And he steps up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and they step back in awe of who he was. And in Mark 4.41, they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Say, pastor, big deal. What's that have to do with anything? Look back at verse 48. What was contrary unto them? The wind. They should have been popping bubble gum, singing kumbaya. The wind ain't got nothing on us. The wind ain't got nothing on Jesus. We're here because he sent us here and everything's going to work out great. That's what they should have been singing. But they weren't. The thing to me is that The exact same thing that was under his control is what was fighting against them. The thing that was under his control. Don't miss this. The thing that was under his control is what is fighting against them. That tells me that nothing can get to me that he's not in control of. Nothing can get to me. That hasn't passed by his desk. And he signed off on it. Why? Because he is the master of the wind. Hey, that's who he is, church. He's the one who's overseeing. But as far as they were concerned, we're in this mess because of Jesus. It's his fault. But isn't that how we look at our trials? Man, if I hadn't signed that pledge card to give to missions, man, I, I wouldn't have this difficulty. If I hadn't agreed to serve, I wouldn't be in this mess. 
If I hadn't decided to teach that Sunday school class and told Brother John that I signed me up or told Miss Kayla to sign me up for the nursery, I, I wouldn't have all these problems. If I didn't love the Lord and I wasn't serving Him, none of this would be falling apart. Am I the only one that feels that way sometimes? Well, I'm glad that I'm the unspiritual one compared to all you righteous people. It was obedience that put them in an uncomfortable situation. Think about it. It was obedience that made them uncomfortable. And there are times and seasons in our lives when we don't understand what God is doing. And the only thing we can fall back on is Him. The only thing we know to do is to trust Him. Luke 17 and verse 1. Then said He unto the disciples, this same group, by the way. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. There's going to be times when you're hurt, guys. I can't avoid that. I can't stop that. Jesus told them that the problems would be there, but he also gave them this tidbit in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, these things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Which is the exact same thing. That he's getting ready to say to the disciples on the water. Be of good cheer. Doesn't, doesn't that sound like a pep talk? You're going to have problems. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus said you're going to be hurt. But I'm also going to give you the hope. That comes with the hurt. He gave the observation. The opposition number three. We see the opening. Look down in verse 48. Jesus, in the fourth watch of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, the darkest part of the day, Jesus starts walking and says that he would have walked by them. He would have walked right by them. But they noticed him. Think about, he was watching them, and then all of a sudden he's four miles away with them. That's not humanly possible. But it is possible with God. Maybe he is who he says he is. And he comes walking. All of these things, the worst possible scenario is played out in their mind. And there he is. He shows up. It would have been easy for them to quit a whole lot longer, a whole lot before this. Been easy for them. But if they would have quit before this point, they never would have seen Jesus. And for us... Hey, if you quit too early, you don't get to see him work. If you quit too early, man, pastor, this is, this is rough. This, and I'm tired and this hurts and uh, I don't like this. But if we quit too early, we miss his working and what he's trying to show us. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Psalm 30, verse 5, For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31, He giveth power to the faint, to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And there's times when, as a young man, you work and work and work, and it's exhausting. It's like, man, what in the world is the Lord doing? 
The youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. Verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Today, what has to happen for you to quit? Do you quit at the very first sign of obstacle? The very first sign of trouble? Are you the person who hangs in there and, hey, we're going to be here because God told us to be here and because God led us here and we're going to make sure we stay long enough to see His faithfulness and see Him come through. No matter what happens, we're going to be here. Now, where are the church members who say, you know what, it doesn't matter what our finances look like. It doesn't matter how many people stay or how many people go. It doesn't matter how, many, how big or how small our church gets. We are here because God led us here. And until he leads us away, we're staying here. Where are the people who just simply say, Lord, if you led me here, you're going to continue to feed me here. And thus I'm staying here. And that's not a shot at anybody. That's simply saying we need to have some gumption as believers that we don't run the first sign of trouble. Warren Wiersbe said, those times when you feel like quitting can be times of great opportunity for God uses your troubles to help you grow. Uses our troubles to help us grow. He sent them. Number two, he saw them. And then lastly this morning, he settled them. Don't miss this. As Jesus is passing by the boat, they see him. Uh, They screamed first. (laughs) Verse 49 and 50. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, think about this. They saw Jesus walking on the water. Wow! Look at Jesus! Guys, look at this! That's the first response you would think. What do they do? They supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. Man, we were really tired tonight, guys. For they all saw him and were troubled. They saw him. It's just good for us. Things aren't always what they seem to be. Don't let your eyesight convince you that that's the truth. You know, I think about this in church realm. Just because you see a big crowd doesn't mean that God's working. Just because you see a small crowd doesn't mean that God's absent. Just because you don't have anybody in your class today doesn't mean that you're a bad teacher. Just because you have 25 in your class today doesn't make you a good teacher. So all of those things, we are swayed by what we see rather than what we know. And the disciples are being swayed by what they see. Hey, what do you know about Jesus? Oh man, I see him working right. No, 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 no. What do you know? Because you want to make decisions based on what you know. Let me quantify that. Has he been faithful to you? Has he led you and fed you and been with you and supported you? Yes, he has, pastor. Then why are you scared to follow him? Why are you scared when something comes up and you say, Pastor, I feel like God wants me to do this, and I don't know what that means, and I don't know where we're going to go, and I don't know what that looks like. Did God lay that on your heart? Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure of that. Then follow Him based on what you know about Him. 
Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Psalm 56.3, what time I, will, I am afraid, I will trust in thee. They screamed. But then number two, he spoke. They saw him, and what does he do? He talks. It says, he says, immediately he talked with them. Not just one of them, all of them. Remember, they all saw him, he talked to all them. And he said, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Verse 51, and when he went up into the ship and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. How is this possible? Jesus spoke and all of a sudden everything's better. Just because he spoke. The thing that's interesting to me is he didn't calm the storm first. He calmed them first. Let me ask you a question this morning. Very direct and very pointed. If he calms your heart, does he have to calm the sea? If he calms your heart in the middle of the storm, does he have to calm the wind and the waves? Because at the end of the day, if he calms me and he's with me, we can go through the storm. But some of us want him to calm me and the storm. Lord, make it smooth sailings forever. That's not life. That's not possible. He calms the storm. Remember Matthew 28 verse 20. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. I'll always be with you. But what happens as a result? They saw this happen, verse 52, number 3. They soured, verse 52. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. You know what they did? They forgot. They forgot. For their heart was hardened. This is a verse that paints a picture of a modern day church. We've grown dull to the things that the Lord does. We live with this glaze over our eyes. That everything, when the Lord moves, we're just numb to what He does. Man, we, pastor gets up. We've had 35 decisions over the last five weeks. Eh. Wow. Okay. Yeah, what's going to happen today? We grow numb to it. I want to illustrate that this morning and, and close. Uh, Jared, you, can you help me with this? Come on, Jared. I want to illustrate this this morning, trying. Jared's a big guy. I talk about Jared quite often because when we did the trust fall, Jared, some of you were here, some of you didn't, weren't here for the trust fall. I fell backwards off an eight-foot ladder, and Jared was in the middle of the group of guys catching me. And if you watch the live stream, Jared's arms never moved. So... I'm very thankful that Jared was in the pile that day. All right. So, Jared, super simple, okay? Um, we're gonna, I'm just going to count off 15 seconds. And this is just simple toothpicks. All right. I want you to one at a time, as we count, 15 seconds, one at a time, not a group, but one at a time, how many can you break in 15 seconds, okay? All right. We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and... Pressure. I know. No pressure, okay? And ice cream is on the line, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay? All right. If you need more, we'll, we'll just throw out a bunch of them here. Okay? How many can you break in 15 seconds? Y'all ready? Going to count with me? Oh, man. Okay. All right. Here we go. Ready? 
Go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Okay, stop right there. That's about ten or eleven right there. Okay? All right, now, Jared, I want you to take your hand, whichever your dominant hand is, all right? And I want you to stick it in here and just hold it there, all right? Went 30 seconds, okay? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk while you're there, okay? Right now, you're feeling something's wrong. Something's not right, okay? Because this is a bowl of ice water. Jared's bare hand in the ice water. Uh, you're 15 seconds in, all right? And so Jared is feeling all these feelings of, hey, man, something's wrong. I need to be doing something. Something's not right, but he's not changing. He's still being exposed. Five, four, three, two, one. Pull your hand out. Dry it off real quick. Okay, stop. Now, 15 seconds. Go. No, no, no. With this hand only. That hand only. Break as many toothpicks as you can. One, two, three, four, five. Stop. Okay? Five. All right? Put your hand back in the water. Okay? All right? 30 more seconds. Now, here's what I'm trying to illustrate. He started with 10, but he was faced with something different. And now his fingers are going numb. Okay, you still got another 15 to 20 seconds. All right? His fingers are going numb, therefore he cannot do what he used to do. Because there's a numbness involved, 10 seconds. There's a numbness involved that wasn't there before. And so the activity that he was involved in before, 3, 2, 1, Okay, pull it out. Don't dry it off. How many can you break? Just with that hand. All right. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, stop. All right. One more time. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I'm trying to illustrate. You've got 25 seconds. Here's what I'm trying to illustrate, and we'll be done. Is the longer he gets numb, the weaker this hand is going to be. Because he has a numbness now in his fingertips. It makes it harder. Hey, there was 10 first. Five the second time. He barely got five in 15 seconds. Hey, over time, it gets tougher because his fingers are growing number. You've got 10 seconds. All right? His, man, I wish you could see his, his hand is turning purple. Okay? All right? He's going to need to hold Caitlin's hand when he gets back to his seat. All right? Five, four, three, two, one. All right, see how many you can break. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, four. There you go. All right. Thanks, Gary. You can sit down. Thanks, man. Just give him a hand. Here's the, here's the analogy. There was a time when, man, it was easy. You saw the Lord work, and man, it was easy. I'm serving, and man, I'm, I'm a part of what he's doing. This is awesome. I get to see it. I get to be involved in it. But then something happens in our life when we're faced with a hardship that we're not expecting. And we start going numb to the things that God is doing. Maybe God's working in somebody else's life, but you don't see him working in yours. And over time, when you don't deal with that numbness, 
now all of a sudden, it's harder for me to do those things. My, my spirit resists what's going on. Why? Because there's a numbness there that wasn't there before. And now all of a sudden, I'm not doing the things that I used to do because my spirit has grown cold. And there's a numbness there that wasn't there before, so I'm not doing, and I don't want to. It's easier to say, no, I don't want to do that. It hurts. I've got to fight now. But if simply he would remove this from the equation, remove that thing that's making him numb, whether that's stopping spending time with the Lord in my Bible reading, I'm no longer praying like I should, I'm not as active as I was, I'm not as faithful as I was coming and, and hearing God's word shared, all of a sudden that numbness is introduced and, hey, I don't want to do those things. that I used to see God work and, and now even I get to the point where when God does those things in somebody else's life, they have no effect on me. I, I don't care anything about that. Uh, why? And, and it's a small step, church, when I go from stopping caring about seeing it to where now I don't want to even be a part of it. It's a small step from I don't care about it anymore to now I don't even want to be associated with or identified with or be a part of that group. And it all started with being numb to what God is doing. Hey, the things that God's doing shouldn't make us numb. They should excite us and give us life. And never take it for granted the fact that we get to see God work in an amazing way every single week. The fact of what God is doing is awesome. Yet sadly, there are people who say, eh, it's no big deal. The majority of churches in America don't have their baptistry full every single Sunday. Why? Because they're not expecting anybody to get baptized. You know what that means? There's a lack of faith. There's a numbness that's introduced. And now we don't come expecting God to work. Now we're shocked if He works because of our lack of faith. Hey, a church that doesn't have faith isn't growing. A church that has, doesn't have faith, God can't use. Without faith, it is what? Impossible. Impossible. We need Him, church, a whole lot more than He needs us. Psalm 33, verse 8 and 9, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Are you in awe of Him today? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Today, maybe you're not in awe of Him because you're not a part of Him. Maybe there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior. You don't know if you died You'd be on your way to heaven. You're not convinced that heaven is your home. Hey, today, would you simply make a decision today to fall in love with Jesus? Maybe that is your first step today. Maybe you've never received Christ as your personal Savior. You don't know if you die, you'd be on your way to heaven. You don't know that heaven's your home. Would you make that decision today? You don't have to come forward. Salvation is literally acknowledging that you have a spiritual need that you can't fix on your own. You're a sinner. The Bible says that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. But the Bible also tells us that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of that sin. But we don't get that by default. 
We get that by coming to Him, acknowledging with Him, verbalizing that need and telling Him, I know that I need you and I know that I can't be saved apart from you and trusting Him as your personal Savior. That's what salvation is. It's not something magical, fancy. It's something that He has given to us, but we have to receive the gift. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as your personal Savior. Salvation is that Simple. And maybe there in your seat this morning, you would simply tell him, talk to him in, in the best verbiage you know how. Tell him that you know you're a sinner. And tell him that you know that Jesus died on the cross for that sin. And then ask him to forgive you and be your Savior. Would you do that this morning? If, if that is your story and you have not made that decision, that is your starting point today. And man, we would love to rejoice. The Bible says, Whosoever believed in him shall not be ashamed. We would love to rejoice with you in that decision. If that is your need today, would you talk to him about it? Maybe you're here and you are watching online and you've made that choice. You know that Jesus is your Savior. You've, there's been a time in your life that you can point to and say, I know that I received Christ as my Savior. And maybe you're here this morning and your spiritual need is simply to follow him. Maybe that's a step, whether getting baptized or being discipled or joining the church or serving Him. Whatever that may look like, maybe that's your step. Would you simply, this morning in the quietness there of your seat, would you pray and ask the Lord to show you what that step is? There are decision cards there in front of you in the seat back, right there in front of your seat. and It says, I, I made a decision today. Man, if you have a decision, man, you ought to write that down, circle one of those boxes and Share it with somebody. Share it with someone in your family. Or leave that card there in your seat when you leave. And we'll reach out to you and show you what your next step is. Take the Bible and pray with you, encourage, rejoice with you. But do what God wants you to do today. Whether that's you don't know that you're saved. You don't know where you'll spend eternity if you were to die. Or taking that next step. Whatever it may be. Whatever that may look like. Our personal workers are down front. They're in the back. would love to pray with you. If you have a need where you'd like someone to pray with you, we're here for you. Whatever that need is, we want to try and be a help to you. But take your step today. Father, please bless our time of invitation and use it for your glory. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, please allow today to be their day of salvation. Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to take a step, whatever that may look like, Help them to make that decision today. And help them not to be ashamed about it, but share it with someone else. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and what you do. Thank you for being the one who sees us. Lord, thank you for being the one who sends us. But Lord, thank you for being, most of all, the one who settles us. You provide peace in the middle of the storm. Help us to be satisfied with the peace in our hearts, even if the storm is still raging around us. Help us to know that your presence is truly what we need in the middle of the storm. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please. We're going to sing that song at the cross. If you need to come and pray at the altar, stay there in your seat and pray. You need to talk to someone. Our personal workers are here. Help you any way that you need. Do what God wants you to do this morning as they sing.